Hi, travelers. Today is Thursday, May 4th. On today's The Continental Sports Podcast, we explore the Philadelphia and St. Louis sports scenes. We start in the city of brotherly love with Brendan Petrilli, content producer for 97.5 The Fanatic and host of the BSP podcast in the 215. Are we scared for the Sixers and their series with Boston? Are the Phillies looking like title contenders again after a bad start of the season? And are the Eagles even better than they were last year after the draft? We then head to the Gateway City and talk to Nate Lucas, host of High Noon on St. Louis's 590 The Fan. Are the Cardinals the worst team in the MLB this year? And what happened to the Blues this season? As always, make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode, where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter accounts. You can also listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Okay, now here is Brenda Petrilli. Okay, we now welcome on a recurring guest to the show, Brendan Petrelli from 97.5 The Fanatic, digital content producer for 97.5 The Fanatic, and a host of the BSP podcast. How you doing, Brendan? Good to see you again. Doing well, guys. Doing well. It's been an up and down ride since we last talked before the Super Bowl in Philadelphia sports, but a lot of ups, which has been good. So let's talk about uh, game two uh, that happened uh, just last night, well, uh, Wednesday. Uh, Sixers kind of laid an egg. Uh, Sixers are one and nine uh, when it, against the Celtics when Embiid plays. Uh, are we worried about the Sixers uh, this series? No, not yet. Not yet. Now you know Friday night it, we might have a different story if they play the way like they did on uh, the other night. But now nah, I'm not panicked yet. It was definitely ugly for sure. The just the whole team just seemed out of whack where they, where they stole game one. Everybody kind of knew their role, and James just cooked, and everybody kind of hit shots around James. And then when they got to when Embiid comes back, James really wasn't as aggressive, and nobody else knew how to make shots. So, uh, we'll we'll see Friday night. I'm not panicked yet. Boston, Boston couldn't miss though. I mean, Boston yeah. was just but I, really on Monday night too. The game one, they shot the ball really well too. Uh, yep. People don't really recognize that because they lost the game. But no, Boston shot the ball really well on both games. But now they do head back to Philly. Um, James Harden needs to play better. Obviously played amazing in game one, um, but two for fourteen from the floor on Wednesday night. That's not going to do it. What do you think? It let's let's dive more to that. Amazing stat, just one and nine against the Celtics when Embiid plays. Obviously, Embiid's the MVP. Uh, can't really put it on him. What do you think the reason for that stat is? Do you think people don't show up as much when he's on the floor, kind of like a, as, a, as a safety blanket? I just think with, with the Celtics, it's been a good matchup for the Celtics with him because they they have these guards that are you know you have Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, and uh, and Al Horford. Both are kind of on the smaller side for centers, so he can't really out-quickness them. And then you have the guards that come in, chip him, get their hands on him. And you saw Marcus Smart kind of D him up a little bit just because he was able just to out-quickness out, out him and, and get the ball, uh, his hands on the ball. Um, I think that's been the biggest struggle where uh, Embiid just hasn't been able to get comfortable, and that's been the biggest monkey on his back. Now, he, he, the other one that he finally 
got off and threw it in the bagster as Justin and I, you know, our, our buddy Anthony Gargano loves to say, he got that MVP off, off his back. And it was something that was really, you could tell, was weighing on him. And now he's got another one in the Boston Celtics who's owned the Sixers in the past, I don't know, five years now. And hopefully they can finally get that monkey off their back and, and get through it because, yeah, you're right. Uh, the way that everybody was, uh, Maxi played different. Harden played a little different. Uh, the role players around him, P.J. Tucker wasn't as active, I thought. He he was able to get a couple fouls on Tatum, which was nice to see. But offensive rebounding-wise, nobody was really there. Uh, defensive rebounding, that's been the biggest struggle for the Sixers all season long. And all of a sudden, in Game 2, you weren't able to, uh, like you were saying, where they were, weren't missing in Game 1 either. But they weren't able to, they went on a, what, to start the fourth quarter, they went on a, like a six-minute run with scoring one point, and that was a free throw from James Harden from the line. And the Celtics, Brogdon and Williams and all the all the backups and the bench players were nailing threes left and right. It, it was just a bad a combination altogether. And uh, we'll see. Uh, I still like the Sixers team. I think uh, Doc Rivers, that wasn't, he had a great coaching game in game one. I'll give it to him. I was saying that all along. And then game two, they kind of came out and they kind of just flat. They didn't make very many adjustments. And that game was there. It was it was there for the pickings for them. And they just fell apart in that third quarter, end of third quarter, into the fourth. So, well, what do you what do you think the the biggest thing for Embiid kind of watching on the side? I like getting other people's perspectives too because I I love the big fella. The guy can back it up, but when he's not making those jump shots. What 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 else does the Sixers team have to offer? Well, finished uh, four nine shooting with only fifteen points. Definitely not his best night on Wednesday. He he definitely was rusty. Uh, yeah, just out of just th- his conditioning was not there. Uh, I I personally think, and I want to get your take on this particular question. I personally think he just shouldn't have played. Um, I think they should have just sat him until uh, Friday night. Now on one side of it. They say, well, get him in the game, get his legs fresh, get him back into playing. And so that way, by Friday and in the end of the weekend, he has some play experience under him after taking that little bit of a hiatus from the injury. Uh, but on the other side of it, they did win game one, and they they could have uh, won game two or you know, definitely lost game two and still have home field advantage going into Friday night. So I think... Uh, you know, I, I think it's good that he played, but at the same time, I I, I would have been nice just to see him have that extra even two days to rest. And I I, I think he could have he could have rested. What are the fans in Philly saying though? Are they happy that he stayed or that that he played, or are they uh they saying he should have rested? It's a, it's definitely a back and forth on it. You know how people want Paul Reed to to get more minutes and everything like that. I I love Paul Reed. Paul Reed's great for spurts, but you, you can tell the guy he he just doesn't have. I mean, he's not the MVP of the league, right? And I would agree with not if he was sluggish, if he was like moping a little bit, but and if he was like wincing, grabbing the knee, I would have said, yeah, he should have sat and he shouldn't have played that game. But I'm sitting there watching it with with my dad, and I'm like, knock on wood, he looks good. Like he was he was rotating around, grabbing boards. He was going off of one leg. Uh, he was running pretty smooth. Playing defense, five blocks in the first half. I mean that that defense alone. If he was, if he wasn't a hundred percent, he wasn't going to be giving it his all 
going and trying to protect that rim. So if I would say I would have sat him if he didn't look the way that he did. Now, the shooting just wasn't there when it came to it, but everything else was there for him. The effort was there on defense and uh, offense running around. Uh, he looked healthy. Not, you know, that's I hate saying that, but that's his biggest stipulation. So uh, people have definitely been back and forth. I, I was fine with him playing. I put it out on my BSP podcast after game one, you know, because he knew it was coming, you know, call in 610-632-09, you know, who, who should play Embiid or, or Paul Reed in game two. That Those are the big hot button questions. And uh, I, I said that you should go for the throat. Now it sucks though. You didn't go for the throat at all, and they kind of came back at you. If it would have been a close game, you lost it. I honestly feel better that they got blown out because you knew that's not gonna that should not happen again. And if they would have came, Tatum would have got a couple big shots. Uh, Brown gets hot, and then they just kind of beat you just because they beat you. I would have been like, okay, fine. That that's tough to bounce back from. That's uh that's a tough way to kind of sell yourself going back home. Now this, you flush it, forget about it. That should never happen again. We're 1-1, coming back home. He's going to get the MVP trophy. Bryce Harper is going to be playing at, at Citizens Bank Park at the same exact time against the Red Sox. So it's it's going to be an all-out madness down in South Philadelphia. So it, it's going to be fun. It's funny how teams usually, uh, at the same time, like cities will usually match up like that <laughs> with, uh, with two different sports. Especially but, uh, two gigantic cities, two cities that have history with each other and in the playoffs and it's just all coming together and beads finally got the MVP Bryce is back. It's one, one in the Sixers, the Phillies have been struggling. They're looking to get that going at home in front of the home crowd. I, I tweeted out the other day. I was just like the MVP chance might, they might show up on the Richter scale. Like it's going to be absolutely nuts. Well, my, um, my thought of it all was I think with Embiid playing at Forest Boston to shoot more, uh, and like I, like I said earlier, they shot the ball really well both Monday and Wednesday. Uh, Sixers, though, and you asked me what my thoughts on the game just even outside Embiid were. Um, I mean, you said it right, Brendan. I mean, he played good defensively. I mean, he, he still was a really good rim protector. Uh, they couldn't drive the ball into the lane as nearly as easily as they could on uh, Monday. But Sixers, I mean, Sixers are the best three-point uh, three shooting team in the entire league. I think they went what, 6-30 and 30 on Wednesday? Uh, I yeah, think it was 1-13 for 13 at halftime. It was, yeah. it was brutal. Yeah, so, I mean, that's it, which is encouraging, especially going home where teams tend to shoot the ball a little bit better with that home field advantage. That's 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 really, for me, what it is. They have to get back to that three-point shooting prowess that they've had all season long. I mean, with Embiid playing or not, I mean, I think that's just, that's going to be the key to the game. If they can't figure out how to get the ball, into the into the rim, you know, outside outside the arc. That's it's going to be a long series, that's for sure. Yeah, like James went started off the night zero for six from three. Maxi's been kind of stepping into shots weird and like throwing his legs out. I he he's looking weird. Tobias, I think the biggest key for this Sixers team to kind of when they need a bucket, if it's not going to go to Embiid, I, I like Tobias Harris bodying up one of their smaller guards because he, he's seen he's able to go down bang it down, turn around, but he just gets a little, and he like, uh, and then like, you know, he like short arms it a little bit and he clanks it off the back rim. Like Tobias, go up strong, dude. You're doing everything right. And it's just like, so just like that confidence level wasn't there for those surrounding guys for sure. 
Yeah, I think they came out flat, definitely, you know, shooting the ball, obviously Embiid underneath, you know, it was it was a flat game for the Sixers. But I think going back home with a 1-1 game, 1-1 series, you know, they can definitely make a statement win here on Friday night. Yeah, I'm going to be there with the Fanatic doing the pre and post game show. So that'll be super cool. We'll be in the building. I'll get to watch the game, which is kind of sick. So I'm, I'm really excited for that. Well, across the parking lot, uh, you mentioned Bryce Harper coming back uh, earlier than expected, right? Way earlier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah fans are going to be ecstatic. Uh, I mean, they, with him coming back, Phillies need it. Started the season off really poorly, but gotten, gotten in shape a little bit over the last, you know, two weeks or so. Um, what do the fans say of the Phillies? I mean, it's... Are they just because of losses in you know April or still losses in September, and so are they pretty down on the Phillies just with how they started the season, or are they confident they're going to get it back? Yeah, I think um, inconsistency is the biggest word, right? Uh, before that Dodgers series this past week, I, I I've, everybody was feeling good. They were starting to make that turn. They finally got to five hundred again. Uh, they were playing good baseball. Bryce is coming back. And a lot of things are pointing up. Now you gave up 10-plus runs in all three games against the Dodgers. The pitching staff's giving you a big, big worry. You need to get Ranger Suarez back, who's hopefully coming back within the next week or so here. Uh, Nola, he's, he did well in Houston, but then he kind of faltered in the later innings again. Where he, uh, It's just inconsistency throughout the whole lineup, throughout the whole pitching staff. Uh, you're right. People losses in the beginning of the year come back to bite you when it when you're fighting for a wild card spot. Which honestly, that's what the Phillies are going to be doing because the Atlanta Braves are an absolute juggernaut. It's going to be tough to catch them, especially with the gigantic lead you've already handed them. It's going to be them and the Mets, and maybe another I don't know Central team, maybe who knows, uh, battling out for that third wild card spot there. So you can't be giving up wins. You can't be giving up series like this. So going up against a Boston team that's been up and down just like you are this weekend, you need to take advantage in front of your home crowd with the MVP and Bryce Harper back. Uh, he finally, you know, his second game in, he went 0 for 4 the first day, and then he got on base four times in the second game. So hopefully he can kind of get going, gets that first home run in front of the home crowd, and kind of the, the Phillies are going to go the way Bryce Harper goes. That's kind of where it was last year when they he started picking up, coming back from that hand injury or face, whatever he got hit last year with. Uh, and then he came back. They went on that postseason run. It was mostly because of him. Now, the bullpen scares you a little bit because you have all these guys. You brought in Kimbrell. You brought in Soto uh, to try to beef up Sir Anthony and Jose Alvarado, the hefty lefty. The hefty lefty has been absolutely electric. I love myself some Jose Alvarado, but the rest of these guys have been walking guys. Kimbrell goes into the game the other day walks to or gives up a hit, walks to the bases are loaded, grand slam to lose the game. That, that just cannot happen. You can't walk guys in, in the baseball in the later innings because good teams make you pay. And the Dodgers did that. So long-winded answer. People are definitely up and down on the Phillies. I'm up on them. I'm still excited for this Phillies team, but it, it's going to be a long summer. That's the way the baseball season works. So uh, they just gotta they gotta get on a good ten game win streak, and everybody will be locked right back in. I mean, Bryce Harper was the first fastest player to ever come back from Tommy John surgery. Which, I was I saying mean, he needs yeah. to give 
his bodies, his red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets, magma, whatever, to Joel Embiid. And just be like, here, dude, everything from me just transfuse into you too. Because the way Bryce Harper can heal from injuries is outstanding. How has he been uh how's he been adjusting to the pitch clock? Because he didn't play any spring training games. He didn't get That's used to a it. good point. That's a good point. And he wasn't a fan of it. it when they talked to him in the dugout, he's like, I you know, we kinda us as players kind of want our baseball back. And they kind of brushed it over a little bit. But yeah, uh, I mean it's only two games in for him. He seemed like he did fine the uh the second game. He kind of adjusted. But no, that's definitely a good point to kind of to see moving forward throughout the season here for him, for sure. I think that affected Trey Turner a lot, honestly, because he's gone through a huge slump where you saw in the World Baseball Classic, none of those rules applied. And all of a sudden he comes to the Phillies. I don't know if it's just wearing the pinstripes or what, and not the the red, white, and blue stripes, but he just forgot to hit. He hasn't had really many extra base hits all this year where he was hitting dinger after dinger after dinger down in South Florida earlier. So I I think the pitch clock has affected a lot of guys. Hopefully they they'll all work it out together. Obviously they're gonna have to. But yeah, no, I think Bryce has been okay. Trey Turner, he's been the biggest surprise, honestly, hitting wise for this team so far. Do you think Cassianos is one of the most underrated players in the Phillies? Uh, he's underrated underrated for a good reason. Uh, the guy absolutely was brutal last season, but uh, I think he kind of did it to himself a bit. Because a lot of guys wanted him to come in, and you know, Nicky doubles. Hit, hit you 25, 30 home runs, and he, he struggled. He struggled big time all the way through the postseason almost. play. He's been playing good defense for the whole year and a half now, but uh, no, I agree with you. He's starting to come around, and that's what you need when you lose a guy like Harper for the start of the year, when you lost Reese Hoskins for the year. So uh, it's good. if he He's such a swagger player and a confidence guy that Philadelphia will absolutely love him. If he can just keep it going – Keep knocking in runs. He's going down the third base side when they're, you know, they're not holding him on. And he's like trying to get in the pitcher's head. Philadelphia loves that. They love, you know, unbutton the shirt, run around the base. He's a good looking dude. So, I mean, people, the Philadelphia fans will love that swagger and that attitude as long as he keeps raking because he, he got off to a slow start in that first year. So hopefully he can keep building it up. And it, 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 he's a huge part. He's going to be a huge part. He's been batting fourth for you now with Harper back so he's gotta he's gotta keep it going how should Rob Thompson uh construct the lineup since Bryce Harper is back should Stott lead off yeah no that's another Schwarber they put him back in that leadoff spot right that he did for most of last year and throughout the playoff run yeah and Bryson Stott and Alec Bohm and Marsh those three young guys have been the the biggest story so far for the Phillies the most consistent guys where they're just getting on base they're just getting on and I think listening to what he said that he likes Stott in that lower spot because he's he's getting on base with singles and doubles and he wants him to drive in Castellanos he wants him to drive in Bryce and uh in that in that 5 6 spot now I rather those guys drive him in because Kyle Schwarber, he's not always getting on base all the time. He's either hitting a homer or he's striking out. And I rather him bat four or five and then knock in Stott than have him who knows to start off the game. Yeah, it's a good it's a good argument to make for Stott to be up in that leadoff spot. I think Rob Thompson's a big guy to stick with his guns, stick with his veteran players that he's gonna keep going 
with Schwarber up there. And I think more often than not, it's going to pay off just because of what we saw last year and just Schwarber kind of getting comfortable with it again. So it'll be interesting. I I like Schwarber up there for now, but if he keeps going, I, I I wouldn't be afraid to move Stott right back up into that first spot because it was working. Philly's biggest problem is always the pitching. I mean, not always, but definitely in the recent history. Uh, you know, last year, even in the World Series. Offense isn't the problem, but pitching, and you mentioned it earlier, I mean, the starting pitching is usually pretty good uh, for the Phillies, but it's that bullpen that just kills them. I I mean, they have, uh, you know, allowed double-digit runs in three straight games, uh, you know, second time since 1958 that that's happened. Their ERA is above five right now. I mean, it's just horrendous. I mean, what I think every single year with the Phillies, I feel like we're always asking the same questions. Just who do they bring in, or how do they fix the pitching, like the bullpen? Because I, you can you can argue that, and the fans would say the same thing that they're not going to make any run in the playoffs without a bullpen. Yeah, I think Soto he 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 settled in a little bit. His last outing against the Dodgers was a struggle, but before that, uh, I believe he pitched nine innings, only gave up one hit before that last one against the Dodgers. So he was kind of, he's kind of fallen into that fold where you, you need that extra lefty out of the bullpen. Now, after that, right, after Sir Anthony, after uh, Alvarado, after Soto, that that's where it's going to be. Brogdon's been okay, but it, it's the starting pitching's inability, the Tejon Walker struggling right now, whether he's hurt or what's going on with his forearm. A lot of these guys haven't been able to get past the fifth inning, and that's putting a lot of innings on these bullpen guys' arms already. And when they got to go out there and face these lineups two, three times in the series, it, it gets ugly because they, they, that's been the biggest key, right, is they walk too many guys, can't walk guys. And that, that's just a hit or miss part of these bullpen guys that you assemble. Kimbrell just isn't what he used to be. He's too many too many uh, balls, too many uh, balls over the plate that just aren't even like where guys were going to chase. Uh, Soto, he can get into parts where just guys just aren't even going to chase. When you put put guys on, you throw, you're throwing 99, but w- without a lot of movement, ball's going to be put in play. And a lot of the times it's going 400 plus feet. And that's what this Phillies bullpen's been doing. Nola, he, he's been struggling. He finally got back on the horse against the Astros, but then he kind of came back to earth again, right? His velocity has been down since the start of the year. I believe he's only been hitting 91, 92, or he was sitting at 93, 94 last year. Now, is that a fatigue thing because of how many innings he pitched last year? I don't know. Uh, Wheeler, he's kind of settling back in a little bit when he started. Uh, his biggest problem was the pitch clock as a pitching uh, as a pitcher, right? Where we were talking about with the with the hitters a little bit, but he was complaining about that a lot. So was Nola. So it, it's interesting. I think that that's probably been the biggest problem for them is just they they aren't able to call timeout, take their time, go back to the rosin bag, slow it down, be like okay, deep breath. Pitchers kind of just got to grip it and rip it right now. And I like it as a fan viewing wise, but I can definitely see how it can be a problem for a guy if you're throwing three straight balls in the dirt. You're like, God, I can't figure this out, but you just got to get it and go, or else you're gonna. It's gonna be an automatic ball four anyway if you don't get it off in time. Well, uh, ten and four in the last fourteen games. Uh, they 
won the last four series as well. So uh, things are looking up for the Phillies. We'll see what happens yeah. as we get yeah. midway through the season, midway through the year, and then uh, even you know in the fall beyond. Let's finish with the with the Eagles uh, draft just happened off. Uh, obviously, uh, did they have the best draft in the whole uh, in the whole uh, draft, or do you think uh, what What do you think on that? I, I think they have the best draft, and that's not biased. Uh, I know you might be a little biased, but uh, I mean, one of the rare teams that got arguably the best player in the draft after being in the Super Bowl, which it, you know doesn't really happen. Uh, what are your thoughts on the draft? I mean, are they better than last year, or are they even worse than last year with these? free agent departures and uh just our older veterans getting you know even older yeah i mean i'm not biased at all i, I don't have phillies eagles everything all around my room right like nah, i'm not biased at all but they yeah the eagles had the best draft and it was honestly because it was a big luxury to have that number 10 spot for a team like you said go to the super bowl lose it sadly but to have probably one of the best rosters that we were talking of all time for the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Whether it's the 2017 or this past year's team, a roster constructed of all time for the team to be able to go and replenish it with two first round picks where you didn't have to pick for need per se. You can just go best talent and that's what they got. And that's what a lot of people think they got with Jalen Carter going up, moving up one spot with the Chicago Bears, taking them at nine where, you know, you got a lot of concerns, but the the biggest thing that listening to Howie and, and to Nick Sirianni talking about why they brought him in, why they trust him is because of Fletch, because it's BG, because of all the veterans that they have in that in that lineup, Hassan Reddick, that they can just be like, you even got his guys. We'll talk about in a second for sure. I'm sure about like that everybody, he's got the right makeup. You have the right coaches. You have the the atmosphere, the the culture in the building already to build this guy up who's one of the most, if not the most dominant, dominant player in college football for the best college football team to bring him in, to bring his buddy in later in uh, the 30th spot and just say, hey, boys, we broke the sack record last year or almost we broke our sack record last year. Let's go for it again. Pin your ears back and just go. And to be able to do that, it's awesome. And then to go and get more Georgia Bulldogs in the later rounds, to get a guy like Sidney Brown, who I think is a really good player, to kind of plug and play there. We'll have to see whether he'll start coming out the year. But just the, the it's Howie did a great job. I, I've always been a Howie a Howie hater a bit, honestly, when it comes to the draft. But the last couple of years, he finally has. It took him to take Jalen Rager to go. Okay, I need to reevaluate what I'm doing. And ever since then, he's picking Alabama. He's picking Georgia Bulldogs, and it's been working for him. Yeah, our uh, our fans uh, in Philadelphia though are they concerned about the free agent losses this year though? Are they more what? Is the draft grade that the Eagles did uh, last weekend, does that outweigh the free agents that they are losing this year? Yeah, uh, I think the biggest thing at this point, need or hole-wise, is linebacker, right? Because you went out and you filled Javon Hargrave's spot with Jalen Carter, with Jordan Davis getting more snaps now, who's your two first-round picks, right, of the past two years. Uh, You got an extra edge rusher in Nolan Smith. That where you kind of BG, you don't know he's getting older, right? So I think you're good there. Secondary wise, uh, you kept Slay. Well, you didn't think you were going to have to keep him, but the whole ordeal happened and you kept James Bradbury. You go and you get uh, Avante Maddox back, 
he's healthy again. And then you uh, draft a couple guys, you know, uh, Ringo, you brought in Greedy Williams and free agency. Secondary's good now. You know, that that's almost a top-notch secondary. And then uh, safety-wise, you're doing all okay. That's probably your next biggest hole and linebacker. And those are two positions that the Eagles just have never valued. Like, you saw who they had last year in Kaiser White and um, Edwards, where these guys are minimum wage guys. These are They didn't get Kaiser White until the, a couple weeks before uh, training camp last year almost. So the the way that they can just plug and play, and you have a guy in a third-round pick filling that spot now who is the head of the, the best college football team's defense in the league, and N'Kobe Dean filling that spot. So uh, I think it was a concern at first. But then now you let it all play out, you let it happen, and you can see where the chips lie that this defense has plenty of talent all over it. Now you can make the argument saying you're banking on a lot of rookies that haven't proven anything yet, but I'm okay with that because, like I said, you're taking guys from the best team in the league in college football that you could say a lot of these guys, I'm pretty sure the whole defense is started or has been drafted into the NFL at this point uh, for that Georgia defense. So. Uh, I'm willing to take the risk on the guys, and uh, it's not that much of a concern because that offense, that, that's been the biggest thing is you didn't lose anybody on offense, and that offense was already putting up 35 points in the Super Bowl, and a guy, a quarterback, is an absolute stud, got paid. So that was always the biggest thing to fall back on is you have the offense, now how we go fill the defense, and that's what he did. Are fans were fans upset that they didn't hire or they didn't draft a linebacker? I mean, losing TJ Edwards, we said obviously because you're white, the free agency that's all of it. That's arguably easily their biggest hole right now is the linebacker position. I mean, uh, yeah, what, what you, I mean, were, were fans upset by that that they nah. didn't get a linebacker? No, we've been trained uh, to not care about linebackers, whether it's the Alex Singletons that have come through and they, they've just always been able to pick up guys that get cut. Or you see some guys that have been uh, not picked up their fifth year options. Now, now maybe he'll make a move for a Patrick queen or maybe uh, an Edmonds uh, from the Cardinals. So there, there's a lot of guys out there that are, are going to be available. Now, whether how he makes that move or not, I, I don't think this roster is completely done yet. Uh, there's going to be at least probably two more moves, impact moves, I see, before they start a training camp. So I, I don't think people have been very concerned about that linebacking position just because we've seen guys that are nobodies come in and, and they're able to mold them into that into that starting caliber linebacker. Safety, uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, also one of those free agents lost this year. Um uh, I think they drafted uh, Sydney uh, Sydney Brown. Brown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's Sydney Brown. Obviously, has a lot to prove still from Iowa. Uh, definitely. Yeah, CJ Gardner Johnson was obviously a veteran. He had proven himself already. So that that's that's another area that you can definitely argue would be a hole for the for the Eagles uh, losing a veteran for a new uh, for a new rookie. Uh, and we'll we'll see if he can. Uh, be, be a good safety for the Eagles and really bolster up that uh, defensive back uh, area there. So uh, yeah, but what are, what are the, I mean, the fans hopeful about going back to the Super Bowl this year in Philadelphia? What what are the what are the especially thoughts? With, especially with the landscape of the NFC right now, I mean, I don't see how you don't say the Eagles aren't a favorite on paper right now. 
just just because that offense. We 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 haven't talked offense at all this whole time. You know, Jalen Hurts got that big deal. He he's proven himself a bit. Now he's got to keep building, and that's what you see. You get DeAndre Swift in the draft. You get a Rashad Penny. Like those two guys are explosive backs when healthy, right? But Kenny Gainwell has really blossomed into a good running back. Austin Scott run. as well. Austin Scott, exactly. So, uh, and then. Uh, Devontae Smith is just going to keep getting better into, what, year three now. A.J. Brown and Jalen just had that connection. Dallas Goddard. I think the Eagles just picked up another tight end, I believe I saw today, too. Uh, just a kind of a depth move. So uh, I'm excited. I think all of Philadelphia is excited, especially with how that draft went. Um, the team's just deep. It's deep. It's good. It went on a run last year. You lost. Right, we we said it, recapping it a bit. You need a safety, you need a linebacker. Other than that, we're good to go here, and we're ready to make a run. I think the biggest thing is the trenches. The Eagles can run that football with that best offensive line in the league, and they can get to the passer with that defensive line getting seventy sacks last year. And you've only built onto it, so it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun for sure. Do you think Howie Roseman is the best general manager in the history of Philly sports? And also, do you think? Jeffrey Lurie is the best owner in Philadelphia sports history. Yeah. Um, I think Ed Wade was the best general manager. The way he was able to construct those Phillies teams uh, in the early 2000s, where they, where they really were in a standstill, where he went out and he drafted and signed, you know, the big four of Utley, Rollins, Howard, and, and, and Hamels, where, they they really needed and they were in nothing right where Howie Roseman kind of came off of that Andy Reid culture he learned from Andy which is needed right but they they he had a basis he had Donovan he had uh, you know guys all around this team Beadock and everybody else where he was able to mold and keep it going because the Eagles have been good for the past you know or somewhat good they've had ups and downs but they're one of the top five winning teams over the past two decades now right so. The way that he's been able to adapt and learn, I really appreciate from Howie Roseman. But I, I think he's definitely floating there. If he can get another, if he can get another championship, that definitely puts him above Ed Wade because the Phillies only got the one World Series at the end of the day of those runs. So uh, Howie's definitely, he, uh, you could see everybody in the NFL around the NFL kind of getting mad at about it, where everybody's like, "Oh, Howie's cooking. Howie's doing great." I'm happy for him. Keep cooking, Howie. I, I've just been hurt by him a lot. So it's tough. It's tough for me to go all in on him. But as far as Jeff Lurie as well, do you think? Oh, yeah. It stands oh, yeah. Jeff, down Jeffrey from Jeffrey Lurie is owner. definitely the hands-down best owner. Uh, the guy is just very trusting no matter who he's got. You have to open your heart is one of his famous quotes, right? And they he's playing been on, able the, to, on the fanatic. <laughs> yeah, and he, he just had to he, – he's able to pick out, A, good people and be able to let them do their thing. Where you see other owners within the division, right? Washington, Dallas, and those owners can't seem to get out of their way and let their football people make football decisions, and they want to meddle with it, and we've seen the success for those franchises over the past two decades where the Eagles have been completely different. So, uh, yeah, Jeffrey Owner, uh, Jeffrey Owner, Jeffrey Laurie is definitely the best owner in Philadelphia history, I would say. Well, Brandon, this has been really fun again. Um, I want My last question, I want I want you to take me into the minds of the of the Philly fans here. Um, 
three major championships lost this year. Uh, if you count MLS, you know, Union, Phil, uh, Phillies, obviously, and then the Eagles. Uh, and then even the Sixers might make it to the, to the finals now. Um, what are the fans thinking as far as, like, are they glad that they went at all to the finals? Or are they is losing the finals too heartbreaking to the point where they just would rather not even have made it in the first place. What what are, what are the thoughts? It's been a really rough year for Philly fans, but then on the other flip of the coin, especially with fans that follow losing franchises, they would argue that's been a really good year uh, for the for the Philly fans. So wh- where are the Philly fans actually siding on that debate? Yeah, um, I mean, if you go back to my channel, right up BSP podcast on YouTube, I did some vlogs going to the NFC Championship game, right against that 49ers team. That was one of the best days of my life, right? I went to a, a bunch of uh, games during the Phillies World Series run. Those are some of the best days of my life. You know, the Reese Hoskins back spike, the Bryce Harper opposite field, you know, Bedlam at the bank. I'm getting chills just talking about it. Like, those moments are what make it so special. Now, would you like to win a championship at the end of the day? Yes, of course you do. It, it sucked. And I, I was at Xfinity Live when the Phillies lost and Jordan Alvarez hits an absolute moonshot dead center. And I'm just sitting there and it was just like death. It was so quiet. It was dead. And I'm just like, that's it, isn't it? Right? And uh, the flag gets thrown on James Bradbury in the Super Bowl. And you're just like, that's it. Like, those moments suck. They really do. But all those other moments make up for it. It makes it so special. I'd rather that than being a team like a Jaguars or something like that. There's never uh, Jaguars are getting better, but you know, over the past decade or plus now, where you've never had those moments, you've never had those special playoff runs. Why? Why even kind of you know where your peak is? Where these teams have given you hope. Now the Sixers are giving you hope again here, and they might rip your heart out again. We'll see. Coming up Friday night, that's going to be a big game for the Sixers Celtics. So if they can get if the Sixers can get past it, we might be in for we might be in for another run here where maybe we get heartbroken, maybe we finally get over the hump and we get one. Well, I think if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I I don't think since last since this year, I don't think a city has lost two major championships in a year, let alone three. Uh, and then, God forbid, a fourth if the Sixers were to make it and then lose in the finals. But like you, like you alluded to, Brendan, uh, a lot of franchises and a lot of cities in general. Um, I mean, you take like just Detroit, even or uh, you know, Cleveland, Jacksonville, Cincinnati. Yeah, Cleveland. yeah, a lot of fans would say, "Well, you guys are lucky." I, I mean, we would much rather make the finals in the championship and lose them than to not even sniff the championship or even struggle to make the playoffs in general. So yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting debate, but uh, you know, I'm happy for the Philly fans and I'm really hoping that, you know, I'm hoping that the Sixers can do it this year and finally, uh, you know, be 25% on the season or, you know, on the year for the Philly fans in the finals and the championship. So we'll, we'll we'll have to see what happens, but uh, well, Brendan, it's been awesome. Uh, you know, again, we really appreciate your time and we'll, we'll definitely be doing this again. Okay. Yeah. Thanks fellas. That was great. Yeah. All right. Brandon Petrelli from uh, the BS host of the BSP uh, podcast and uh, content producer for uh, 97.5, the fanatic in Philadelphia. All right, Brendan, we'll be doing this again sometime. Okay. Yep. See you fellas. All right.
Okay, that was Brenda Petrilli from Philadelphia. Now we head west for an awesome interview with Nate Lucas and talk all things St. Louis sports in the Gateway City. Okay, we now head to the Midwest for a great interview with Gateway City's Nate Lucas, host of High Noon, Monday through Friday, noon to three on 590 The Fan in St. Louis. How are you doing today, Nate? I'm great, Jared. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Absolutely. Uh, okay, Nate, the Cardinals are one of the historic franchises of the MLB, one of, one of the only eight teams that have been around since the 80s, fourth most wins in NBA history. At the time of this recording, though, though the Cardinals are last place in the NL Central at in fifth to last overall in Major League Baseball with a 9-16 and record. Uh, can Cardinals fans handle another wild card uh, series outing or worse, not even make the playoffs this year? Cardinals fans are uh, pretty livid right now. Um, they've gotten off to a horrific start. They uh, were able to pull out a victory to salvage one game out of four against the Giants uh, as that series wraps up. They're in the midst of a ridiculous road schedule here that took them through Seattle in which they lost two out of three. They lose three out of four to the Giants, and now they're on to Los Angeles to pay, play the Dodgers. And uh, the Dodgers are a very good baseball team, despite you know their roster going through a little bit of a change. The Cardinals uh, fans feel like the organization has not poured enough money into the rotation, uh, and right now that is definitely the case. I mean, the ERA of the of the Cardinals pitching staff is one of the worst in Major League Baseball, if not the worst. Uh, the offense, while the team cat sort of characterizes it as as bad luck, uh, they have. Um, they have like the fourth highest average, the fourth most hits in all of baseball, but they're not hitting with runners in scoring positions. So their their timely hitting and clutch offense numbers has not been good to start the year. And and they're saying that those numbers will correct themselves. And there is a lot of talent on this team, uh, but the main problem is pitching. And this is a team that has not invested in the offseason to acquire an ace, and they've been hurt. Uh, in the last handful of years with trades uh, in which they traded Zach Gallen uh, to the Arizona Diamondbacks. He was part of the deal that brought Paul Goldschmidt to St. Louis. Or pardon me, uh, Gallen was actually to Miami initially uh, in the deal that brought Ozuna to St. Louis. And then Sandy Alcantara was also part of that deal. So I think the Cardinals have been a little bit gun shy in trying to trade from their own internal depth because they don't want to get burned by these guys who go to other organizations and have tremendous success. I mean, Sandy Alcantara finished one in the NL Cy Young last year, and Zach Gallon was two. So um, this this town is a baseball city, and when the Cardinals don't do well, you can feel the entire pulse of St. Louis sort of on edge. I, I say often, you can just tell the mood. You go in to get gas, or you're at the gas station, or at the grocery store. And people are a little frustrated, and usually it's the, the day after a Cardinals loss. So I'm looking at it right now. Uh, fourth from last in ERA at 5.13, uh, so just above five. Uh, pitching, no, no. Uh, pitching staff, pretty old. Adam uh, Rainwhite, 
Wayne White, <laughs> uh, 41. Uh, Miles Nicholas, 34. I mean, Miles played good last year, but still getting up in age. Uh, Jack, Jack Flattery, definitely not the same pitcher he was four to five years ago. Uh, I mean, if they don't get another starting pitcher, are there chances of winning the NL Central pretty dim? I mean, based on what you just said, I would say so, right? Well, they were the betting odds favorite to win the National League Central. Uh, no one, I think the story of the year so far is what Pittsburgh's done to get out to such a great start. And, um, you know, if you would have told me a month ago that the Cardinals on uh, in late April would be eight games behind the Pittsburgh Pirates in the Central Division, I would have said, you're crazy. You know, what, what universe are you living in? Uh, so it is early. Um, but there are trends on this team, and, and a lot of what we've discussed uh, the last several you know weeks and really since uh, the last year or so with this, with this team is that the way they're built, it's just sort of dysfunctional. Like They, they don't really truly have a, a legitimate shortstop. The, they gave Paul DeYoung a big contract years ago, and then his offense fell off. So he's been sort of back and forth from AAA and injured. And now he's back, and they're still trying to figure out how he fits into the lineup. And they don't really have a center fielder. They traded Harrison Bader to the Yankees for Jordan Montgomery, and that deal worked out from last year. But defensively, when you don't have a true center fielder, that hurts your entire outfield. So I heard a stat today that the Cardinals are 29th in Major League Baseball in um, opponents when the balls put in play against them on batted balls in play, recording it out. So. Their defense, which is what they've prided themselves on a lot. I mean, look at the guys that they've had in their lineup. I think a handful of years ago, they won five gold gloves in the National League. And that's not the case right now. They, they've they've sacrificed some defense for offense. And right now, they're not getting offense or defense from any outfield position. And they're also scuffling a bit around the infield. And they're adjusting to life without Yadier Molina. I mean, this guy's a Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame catcher. He's probably one of the best defensive catchers to ever suit up. And they've they made a big offseason deal for Wilson Contreras and his bat, you know, still trying to get going. It's early, but there's definitely been an adjustment too from a defensive standpoint with Wilson Contreras behind the plate calling the game. Yeah, I know he started off like zero and twenty-two, correct? Wilson Contreras, something like that. He started off yeah. very, very uh slow, but yeah, so you say Cardinals fans are uh, definitely disappointed. Are they are they uh, citing past history at all as kind of hope for the future? Uh, 1985 Cardinals went 9-11. Uh, they ended up going to the World Series. Uh, they lost to Kansas City, but ended up going to the World Series. 2004 Cardinals also went to the World World Series, but lost to Boston. They started 10-10. And then 2011, they won the World Series starting 11-9. So there's definitely still hope for teams that start the season off poorly. I mean, but... At the same time, losses in April are still losses in September, right? So are the fans at all hopeful that they're going to – I mean, they, I know they're frustrated, but are they hopeful that they're going to turn this around? Yeah, I mean, look, it's early, but there there are trends that this team is sort of falling into that aren't byproducts of winning baseball. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the rotation concerns, and, yes, the fans and I think the organization really recognizes that their pitfall when they go into a road when they go into a five or a seven game series, they don't have like an eight. They don't have a guy who they know is going to get the ball. Um, 
and and that's a problem. Like last year in the wild card series, it was sort of up for debate until literally Ali Marmel uh, held the press conference and said that Jose Quintana was going to get the start in game one. And Quintana was good. There was some question as to whether or not he should have been pulled when he was, and then the bullpen imploded. Uh, Ryan Helsley broke down like a derailed train, and that uh, was one of the worst losses I can recall in, in franchise history in game one of the wild card. And they didn't really do anything to address that. Uh, so the questions really do remain is, is if this team has the horsepower from the pitching side to go into a five or seven game series and get it done. And so far it has not been the case. And I think questions linger as to what they'll do. But the talking point from the organization is that this team has so much depth offensively guys in the outfield, yet none have emerged as big league talent, like the mainstays in the lineup out of five guys that were competing for three spots in training camp uh, literally no one has emerged to say, Hey, I'm going to take that, uh, you know, bull by the horns and stay in the, in the lineup. So that's been frustrating. But then if those guys would emerge, you could deal from that depth because there are a lot of players like Juan Yepes didn't even make the team out of spring training. Well, there's a lot of major league clubs around the, the baseball that would love to have Juan Yepes in their lineup. So if they could flip a young outfielder for a starter, I think that's been their game plan. The Cardinals have played better second-half baseball for the last two, three seasons. They've had ridiculous runs in, in uh, August and September. So I think that's what they're banking on. They did not bank on getting off to such an atrocious start here in, in the first month of the season. Uh, swept twice this year, uh, once by Atlanta in early April, and then just recently here by Pittsburgh, which, of course, Pittsburgh was pretty detrimental to them uh, being swept by them. But um, midpoint through the season, if they don't turn things around, is manager uh, Oliver Mormel, is he is he gone? Well, that's kind of uh, – I would say that his seat is warming. Um, Ollie benefited a year ago in his first season uh, with the Albert Pujols story. And last season, you know, that that headline really was the story of the year around here. I mean, Poole's getting to uh, 700 home runs. The fact that his second half was like vintage Albert. You knew that Yadier Molina was retiring. So you had these like feel-good stories. And then the team sort of pulled away and won the NL Central as the cherry on top. So last year, like everything seemed to click and go in the right direction. This season, he doesn't have Albert Pools. He doesn't have Yadier Molina. There, there does seem to be uh, a void in that clubhouse from those two vacancies. And Ali Marmol has not been great with the media. And, you know, so much of the job in today's uh, game for a manager, with all the analytics that uh, are, play a part of, of today's game, if you're not savvy with the media, if you don't use that as a as a um, as a resource for for being a, a medium to reach the fans, and you you sort of like look down on it, it's a really bad it's a really bad visual. And over the last seventy two hours, we've seen. Uh, the president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak, asked the fan base for patience, which I thought was just a ridiculous comment. You had Ali Marmol say that this sort of uh, early season adversity is only going to fuel their fire when they're playing better baseball in September. 
And you also had him yesterday after the game in which they got blown out and it felt like the club was lifeless, uh, say that he thought that maybe the team was trying too hard. So uh, three statements in 72 hours from essentially the mouthpieces of the baseball side, not a good look, and it's backfired tremendously. And I think uh, John Moselec has to be careful with this because it would also be you know, his third manager in a span of like four seasons. He fired Mike Matheny. Thank God it was time to get that act out of town. The Mike Schilt thing went in a weird direction because I think Schilty gave the organization an ultimatum based on some of his uh, coaching staff uh, pieces. He, he was not a fan of the hitting coach, Jeff Albert, who has now since left the organization. Um, but it is weird. Like the, the, the coaching staff for the Cardinals is largely a bunch of no names. I mean, their pitching coach, Dusty Blake, uh, the best thing known about Dusty Blake is that he's got a master's degree from Duke, which I'm sorry, who really gives a hoot? You know, they got the highest ERA that I can recall in, in franchise history, and they're eight games behind the Pirates in first place. And we're talking about what the guy did at Duke University. Maybe it's time to go back to college. So you got all sorts of issues. As you can tell, the people are not. People are not thrilled with what's happening right now, and I think that will only turn up the temperature on Ali Marmol, who, by the way, never played in the big leagues. And also earlier this season, he made the ridiculous decision to call out Tyler O'Neill for not necessarily hustling around third base. And while I think those those types of discussions are important, you can go have that talk with the player. Uh, to do it with the media seven games into the season I think has definitely sort of added an awkward element to all of this. Um, and that's a lingering news item as well that got picked up nationally. And it was a bad look for Ollie Marmel. There's no question about it. I've asked people this and I get different responses every time. What do you think is harder? Uh, maybe around like, you know, mid season when people are gearing off of the playoffs trade deadline, what do you think is the hard? What do you think is harder to improve on, uh, offense or you know the pitching? Because I've heard different things. Now their offense for the Cardinals is fine. Uh, they have some you know great players, like you said. They have five Gold Glove winners. I mean, Paul Goldsmith uh, is obviously uh, MVP. Uh, great young squad too. Uh, I think they're fourth. I'm looking at it right now in batting average in the league. Uh, they have third in hits in the league. Uh, so their offense is fine. Um, are the fans pretty confident that they can fix the uh, pitching, though? Uh, you know, maybe midway through the season to gear up for the playoffs and try to get over 90 wins? So the last two seasons, uh, they've gone out and acquired a couple of left-handers at, at the deadline. Last year, it was Jordan Montgomery and, and Jose Quintana. And those two, I think in their first, like, 15 or 16 starts, they were 14-1. and one. The team was 14-1 and one, um, after they acquired those two. And then the year prior... Uh, it was John Lester, the veteran, and also um, uh, another left-hander that I'm blanking on right now, but another veteran. And and both of those guys, like they turned back the clock, all four of them turned back the clock and pitched really well and provided a huge boost uh, to the pitching staff uh, and really got them in a position to reach the playoffs. Uh, so that, that's that been encouraging. And there were names. I mean, everybody last year at the deadline was thinking, oh, maybe the Cardinals are going to go splash for Madison Bumgarner, or maybe they're going to make a big uh, look for uh, the Oakland A's guy who ended up in, in a Yankees uniform. Um, 
his name is escaping me now too. But no, they go out and they get Montgomery and Quintana, and it, initially you're like, hmm, not much sizzle to the name, but the man, the the performances certainly won you over. So I think just recent history tells us that you can add from a pitching standpoint uh, at the deadline and really enhance your chances. But uh, and and I agree with you, like. As I've tried to convey, I think this offense is going to turn it around and 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 probably be just fine at the end of year. End of the year. I mean, the um, the story so far offensively has been Nolan Gorman, who is a young infielder that the team has a lot of had a lot of faith in. He came up last year and showed flashes, but his development was hurt because Pujols was in the DH spot. So Gorman came up as a third baseman. He's not going to be playing third base with Nolan Arenado in the in the org. And so they moved him to second base. He's actually handled second base fine from a defensive standpoint. Uh, but his bat has been extremely encouraging. He was challenged this offseason to work on some things. And I think the early uh, the early tell on Nolan Gorman is that he, he could be in the running for uh, – he might be eligible for Rookie of the Year. I'm not sure. He may have uh, gotten too many games last season. But either way, I mean, he was hitting third in the lineup the other day. So that's been very encouraging. What are the thoughts on uh, John Mosleyak right now? I mean, I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but they have a bad reputation of giving up good talent, Cardinals. I mean, getting getting rid of talent, bef- you know, re- bad at recognizing good talent, I'm trying to say. Uh, 2017, end of 2017 season, they gave up Sandy Alcantara, as we know, uh, Arizona, 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 excuse me. Uh, end of 2019, they gave up. He's doing great with the Rays right now, a below three batting average. Patrick Wisdom is breaking out with the Cubs right now. They gave up him at the end of the 2018 season, and then Johan Abriado uh, is killing it right now for Pittsburgh, who they also gave up uh, at some point at the end of the uh, 2022 season. So, I mean, do the Cardinals have a bad reputation of giving away these good players before they break out into the stars and, you know, not recognizing good talent when they have it? Well, I mean, the team, uh, even Mo, uh, John Mozilla, he's been pretty forthcoming about acknowledging that, yes, they have had to reshuffle, you know, some of their internal process of how they evaluate their own talent. And um, this all really goes back to a lot of, you know, fans will tell you this. Everybody knows this. The death of Oscar Tavares um years ago back in 2000 the off season of 2013 okay Oscar Tavares was billed as one of the uh, most legit prospects that this team has had in a long time and Oscar Tavares died tragically in a car accident in the Dominican Republic well that created a domino effect where for the first time in a long time the Cardinals had to deal from a, a depth of organizational pitching and so, like you pointed out, they deal Sandy Alcantara. They deal Zach Gallen. Uh, the Randy Rosarena deal for Tampa Bay, that was just, uh, you know, Randy Rosarena did something um, after the team won a division series in Atlanta. He filmed manager Mike Schilt in his postgame uh, speech to the team that happened to be laden with ex- uh, expletives and it was kind of a bad look and like a Rosarena was live streaming it on his Instagram account. There were also some other stories 
from his time in the organization of just some sophomoric behavior. But clearly the guy's an unbelievable talent. So, yeah, you're missing him big time. I mean, he's playing ridiculous for uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, and some of the other names, you know, Johan Oviedo, he's off to a very good start with, with Pittsburgh. But, yeah, he had chances with the big league club and just couldn't really – like you couldn't tell, is he a starter? Is he a reliever? But he also brought uh, Jose Quintana over, who, like I said, played a huge role in the Cardinals surging to a National League Central Division uh, championship last year. So you got to give to get. And unfortunately, they've been burned on a few really good players uh, in, in trying to patch up other areas. But it does go back to that deal in which they had to do something to get a bat in their lineup after the death of Oscar Tavares. And so they go try to trade for Marcelo Zuna and, and they had to decide. I mean, at one point, like I used to do the double A games down in Springfield, Missouri. And at one point that rotation was ridiculous. I mean, you had Sandy Alcantara, you had Zach Gallon, you had Dakota Hudson, Jack Flaherty, Austin Gomber, like all these names. It was kind of crazy for a minor league pitching staff to have that much uh, firepower and, and teams just uh, got the right ones, you know? So, the Cardinals, they've had to sort of, they've had to reevaluate how they, how they, I guess, stat guys in their own organization. But when you're dealing with trades, there's always the opportunity that you're going to get beat. And if I were any team in the big leagues, I'd be staying away from doing any deals with the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, they pretty much fleece everybody. And having said that, Moselak also fleeced Colorado to get Nolan Arenado. And pretty much fleeced Arizona to get Paul Goldschmidt, the MVP last year. So I, these deals go back and forth. I'm not like ready to give a score to John Mozeliak, but the internal knowledge will tell you that um, John Mozeliak has an unbelievable uh, reputation with the organization. He is best friends with Bill DeWitt, who owns the team. And their ideology is basically eye for eye. So the idea that Moe's going anywhere, I think, is just all hype. And Jordan Walker was another player that I think had a lot of hype uh, coming into this year. The rookie, I, I mean, I know they just demoted him to AAA, uh, correct? I think just yesterday they, did. they demoted him. Yeah, yeah, they did. Was, They're he, trying to clear the log jam in their outfield. And so, like, you got all these guys, and, and somebody's getting a start today, somebody's getting a start tomorrow, and I think now everybody's recognizing that it's time that we get a set outfield and they let the let this thing play out. And unfortunately, Jordan Walker, who they also moved to the outfield because he's a natural third baseman, he's still really young, and he's 20 years old, uh, but he's a third baseman, and Arenado's in the fold. Like, he just agreed to uh, kick in that next leg of his contract in the offseason. He could have opted out. So he's here, and and that means Nolan Gorman's not playing third base, and that means Jordan Walker's not playing third base. So he needs to go probably get some more reps in the outfield. It was kind of shaky at times out in right field, and until they really have a spot where he can be in the lineup every day, I, I think he's going to be better suited at uh, Memphis. Well, Nate, like you said, they started off the season with high hopes. 11 in ESPN's preseason rankings, 10 in the Ringers' preseason rankings, 10 in the Athletics' preseason rankings, and then 11 in CBS's preseason rankings. So uh, all about the same, uh, just like top, you know, roughly top 10 for a lot of people. Uh, just real quick, do you think they're going to make the playoffs this year and or even get over 90 wins? What, what are your thoughts uh, personally? 
uh, you know, I am on record of saying that they were going to be right around that 90 win threshold. Um, and they're making that prediction really tough right now uh, because I don't think they're a strong defensive club. They don't have the starting pitching uh, that that you need to uh, to make a deep run. Their bullpen is shaky right now, and they have a, a problem where none of the five outfielders that competed for a starting spot are contributing in a positive direction, either offensively or defensively. So that's a terrible formula to say that a team is now going to win 90-plus games, and that was always kind of the number you looked at uh, that that was at least necessary to have a shot at the playoffs. I mean, you win 90 games, you're going to be right there. And right now, I don't know. I mean, they keep stressing that this team's going to turn it around, they're going to turn it around. Well, I'm I'm seeing it trend in the wrong direction. And unfortunately, as I sit here today, and I would love to be wrong, I hope we can play this interview back four months from now and you can say, you were so dead wrong, you idiot. But the my opinion right now, as we sit here, is that the Cardinals will not make the playoffs uh, based on the trends that I've seen from this team in 2023. And that is not a good sign because they did have high hopes and you went through the projections and I think this team has a lot of talent, but right now they are not getting anywhere close to the production that it would take to uh, make a surge and win the National League Central. But it's early. Well, yeah, well, especially being in the same division as Pirates, uh, Milwaukee, and even Chicago's not playing too bad either. So, yeah. Well, uh, Chicago went out. I mean, Chicago did a nice job in the offseason. Look at what they did. They got a shortstop, Dansby Swanson. They took a chance on Cody Bellinger. You know, they, they've they got a rotation one through five that I think stacks up better than it does for the Cardinals one through five. And um, they're, they're, they're going about a different rebuild. But keep in mind, they won 70, I think they won 73 games last year. And while I thought going into the season, it was going to be a significant leap to close the gap on the Cardinals this year. Uh, the early signs are that the Cubs are much improved. I caught a lot of that series. They just played the Dodgers and split two and two, but that felt like a playoff matchup. And the and the Cubs seemed uh, in, engaged. They didn't seem overwhelmed whatsoever by playing a team in the Dodgers that has sort of had their way with the National League the last four or five seasons. Well, Nate, this has been awesome. I do have one last question for you. Um, what happened with the Blues this year? This uh, your the St. Louis Blues getting a little bit more uh, relevant with hockey. You know we have how hockey playoffs going on right now. Of course, uh, Blues had the worst regular season record in the last fifteen years. I think since two thousand seven. I read uh, their goaltending was disastrous. Uh, one goal for every ten shots with uh, less than you know nine hundred save percentage. Uh, what, what, what happened with the blues this year? What, what, I mean, they're usually a team that's right up there in the playoffs, uh, but this year was just not their year. Yeah. They finally uh, had to dissemble the team that, that brought a Stanley cup to St. Louis, uh, for the first time in 50 years. Um, and that was a remarkable run. And, uh, I think there's, you know, nobody will forget that run. Me particularly, I was at uh, basically every single Stanley Cup playoff game and went to Boston for games five and seven, and that was a ridiculous, unbelievable experience. Uh, but this year, they got off to a slow start, and their defense was abysmal. Um, and kind of like how the Cardinals don't have a number one ace in their rotation, the Blues don't really have a number one defenseman. 
After that Stanley Cup win, they did not re-sign Alex Petrangelo, who was their captain. Uh, they gave a contract to a guy named Colton Pareko, who has not lived up to that contract to date. Uh, and um, they re-signed Nick Letty, uh, a veteran defenseman who played well when they traded for him at the deadline two years ago from Detroit. And they had to make an off-season decision whether they were going to re-sign Nick Letty or they were going to re-sign David Perron. And Perron, who has now three times joined the Blues and left the Blues and come back and this, that, and the other, uh, he was such a huge piece of their power play a year ago. The Blues uh, had, had a, a re- franchise best power play percentage uh, last year. This year, not the case. They also lost Jim Montgomery, uh, who is an assistant coach under Craig Berube. And Jim Montgomery went to the Boston Bruins. The Boston Bruins put together the, the best season in NHL history. Uh, you know, outdoing the Montreal Canadiens, even though there's some scheduling quirks that put a little asterisk next to that. I think Jim Montgomery's departure had a huge impact on this team. So special teams weren't good. You know, the goalie situation, I know the stats aren't good, but uh, Bennington was left to dry on so many occasions. The defense was just awful. Uh, And they didn't play 200-foot hockey game. And then also internally, uh, they gave big contracts to Jordan Cairo and uh, Robert Thomas. They're each getting eight and a half million dollars a year that those contracts kick in this season. And I think there were veteran players on the team that saw those huge contracts of these kids. And then these guys aren't playing a 200 foot game. They're playing no defense. They're all out there. Even uh, Doug Armstrong, the GM after the season said, this wave of player is more concerned about an 18 second clip on YouTube than they are about playing 18 to 20 minutes a night with, you know, the full consistent effort. And that's, pretty damning considering he gave the contracts to these two players thomas and Cairo, eight and a half million dollars and anyone who follows hockey knows that when you have a successful team the the talk the the clock's ticking because in the salary cap era and the nhl has not moved the salary cap up a whole bunch you run into trouble and the blues uh have run into that they are basically right at the cap number and so that has forced some very difficult roster decisions but they did not envision uh, a defensive group with some pretty, you know, decent veteran names playing as poorly as they did all season long. So they trade Ryan O'Reilly to the Leafs. They trade Vladimir Tarasenko to the New York Rangers. And those are two guys that were pretty major pieces of a Stanley Cup run that are now no longer wearing the blue notes. So uh, I think they're going to be back in the playoffs last, next year. They made some nice moves. At the end of the season, where they picked up a guy named Jacob Vrana, who won a cup in Washington. Kasperi Kapanen was picked up from the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's a nice player that added some speed. And then in the uh, Tarasenko deal, they got a guy back, Sammy Blay, who was on the Stanley Cup team. And Blay just fits into Craig Berube's style. So those three guys are all making a grand total of like under $7.5 million. And they should project as top nine forwards for uh, the Blues next season. And you could just tell, as the season went on, they played better. They were also going up against lesser competition. But you could see that it was much more of a style that Barubi likes to uh, run, which is wear down your opponents, play a 200-foot game, and beat the hell out of the other team. And if you do that, it's usually a pretty good recipe for success, at least in the Stanley Cup playoffs. You mentioned uh, defense. Uh, 72% penalty kill percentage last year. Third Brutal. worst. Yeah, third worst in the NHL. What do the fans do? The fans think you do, but what do the fans think the 
Blues will make the playoffs next year. I think there's hope. Uh, this organization does not have, you know, the capital to sit there and not make the additional revenue that it that playoff games bring in. Uh, the the, uh, the the margin of monetary, you know, uh, success is vital for uh, this local ownership group led by Tom Stillman. They need these playoff games, uh, believe me. And fortunately, the, the Enterprise Center was still sold out. I mean, almost every game, crowds were still good, but they will not be able to go through what they had in the early uh, 2000s and uh, where it became such a, an abysmal product. It took a long time for the fans to come back, but they've had a pretty good run. I mean, the Enterprise Center holds just over 19,000, and they've had sold out crowds for the last like five or six seasons, almost every single home game. So it's been a nice boost. And I think this is a, a little retooling and the fans will be patient through that. Uh, but, you know, the, the GM, it's funny, the tones between the GMs on both teams is so different. Like Doug Armstrong, you can just tell he was so pissed that this team didn't do well all season long. Like in his, in his after season state of the union, I mean, it's one of the best 40-minute interviews I've ever heard where a general manager is just so transparent about how frustrated he was with this team in particular and how he's going to have to work this roster to be in competition next season. And then you've got John Moselock, on the other hand, you know, telling the fan base that sends three-plus million people to the ballpark every year in one of the most highly attended ballparks in the nation that they need to have more patience. Okay? Yeah. It's a nice strategy. Yeah. Little different, yeah. Fans like that transparency. They always have. Uh, fans are always like that, really. Well, Nate, this has been awesome. We really appreciate your time, giving us some great insight in St. Louis. Uh, looking forward to the Cardinals. Uh, you know, getting things going here. Hopefully, uh, they get some more depth in pitching. I think once that happens, they'll definitely we'll definitely see an improvement, obviously, because like I said, their offense is fine. It's just the pitching that needs to get a little bit better here. And if they can get that figured out, we'll we'll most likely see them in the playoffs next year. And hopefully they go further than the wild card game like they did last year. Um, summers summers in baseball are highly dependent on Cardinals baseball. And if it's gonna be a long summer, you're gonna feel that uh hundred degree humidity uh, a little bit more than maybe in summer's past. So let's hope that they turn things around. Let's have a little optimism. Well, Nate Lucas from 590 The Fan in St. Louis, uh, host of High Noon, like I said, Monday through Friday, noon to three. Uh, you can catch that anywhere you catch your podcast, uh, Apple, Spotify, uh, you name it. One eighth has been awesome. We'll have to do this again sometime. We'll, uh, we'll love to have you on again, okay? My pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, Nate. Till next time. All right. We now finish the show with uh, Off the Map and Long Hauls of the Week. Justin, who is your Off the Map of the Week? My Off the Map of the Week is Nick Casario, the general manager of the Houston Texans. Trading up to the number three pick in the draft to get Will Anderson was kind of a halt. The Texans gave up a first-round pick next year and a dozen of other mid-round picks uh, in the 2023 and 2024 draft. And also, I like Will Anderson as the pick, but I think Nick Casario kind of reached up to number three by trading too many draft picks, including a, a 2024 first-round pick. And this is for a team in rebuilding, in my opinion. 
I think the Texans should have kept that pick. You know, I think it's bold, but I also think it's kind of a stretch. I'm going to go with uh, Colorado and the Deion Sanders drama. Um, No one's really talking about just how risky what he's doing is. Everyone's talking, obviously, about Deion Sanders coming in and just the complete overhaul that he's doing with the coaching staff and the players there. But I don't think people really talk about just how risky it is. Uh, just just some stats for what he's doing with the, with the program. A uh, 76-man roster uh, that he has completed here uh, in Colorado. Uh, only 12 of them are returning scholarship players. Uh, 21 of them are incoming transfers, 17 new freshmen, and 26 walk-ons. That's going to be a lot of people to have meshed together all in one single season. And it could definitely fall uh, backfire on him. And uh, I I can see Colorado going both ways. Deion Sanders is a great coach. I think he could offer a lot of good things to Colorado. But like I said, at the same time, there's definitely going to be a, you know, a mesh issue, uh, people working together, uh, a lot of players having to – get to know each other and really find that continuity uh, to be able to really play well in the field. So it's going to be an interesting experiment for sure. And I don't think really people are talking about just how much of an experiment it's going to actually be uh, in Colorado. Uh, Who is your long haul of the week, Justin? My long haul of the week is this. I understand Jalen Carter has a lot of character concerns at the combine and off the field, obviously, but I do think that, you know, we really need to give Jalen Carter a second chance here. He's in a great organization with his former teammates in Philadelphia. And Tracy Rocker also scouted him. He is the defensive line coach in Philadelphia. He scouted him at the University of Georgia. And I think this is going to be a good fit for Jalen Carter. I think this could be even a great fit, obviously, if he plays well and, and stays out of trouble. And I just, you know, I think that we have to just, you know, give people second chances, obviously, you know, give him a second chance. He's in the right environment, as I just said. And, uh, you know, I think I think all can go well here. You know, let's see what what's happened. Let's see what happens uh, this season and beyond. Uh, my long haul is the Bucks. Uh We know uh, Budenheiser was just uh, fired today. Um I don't think that was a great decision on the Bucks. I mean, he, I think in his five years with the Bucks, he went 271, 120, 271 wins, 120 losses. Uh, obviously had good playoff success, won a championship with the Bucks, of course, as we all know in the 2020, 21 season. But I'm just tired of people just talking about how much of a collapse uh, it was for the Bucks. Uh, Giannis wasn't. Giannis was not healthy. Uh, the Kimpo definitely was not healthy in the playoffs at the start of the season. That definitely hurt him. Um, I just think they had offensive struggles. They just couldn't really make a shot. But most importantly, Jimmy Butler and the Heat are a way better team than people uh, really gave them credit to be. I mean, we all knew going into the playoffs this year, it was anyone's uh, championship to win. Uh, and even with people saying that. People were still considering uh, the Bucks' early outing as a complete failure, even though they were saying it's anyone's championship to win before the season even started. So I just thought that was kind of, uh, you know, 
counter uh, counterintuitive. They kind of they kind of contradicted each other in their statements, and I'm just tired of people saying uh, the Bucks were just a complete uh, failure and uh, just you know a loss of a season when the Heat really are a great team, and I think they need a lot to get a lot of a uh, a lot of reputation uh, and a lot of uh, acknowledgement. Just uh, how good of a team the Heat are this year, and even the last five years in general, how good of a team the Heat has been. Uh, so that, that's the show. Uh, well, uh, we'll see you all next week, uh, and then, and, but until then, just keep on traveling.